Good morning, sports fans, or possibly afternoon or evening. Um, welcome to From Bob's Sports Office. My name is Jake Mathis. From Bob's Sports Dad. I get it wrong every single time. I think we should rebrand. Rebrand what? Change the name to office. No. Okay. From Bob's Sports Desk. Because then that's too similar. But From Bob's Sports Desk has a very different feel, and that's the point. We should call it From the Field. But that implies that we're just field sports, which would then only count football and baseball. Track and field, how dare you. Yeah, how many <laughs> track and field things have we talked about on the sports show? Not enough, actually. Zero. We've talked about zero track and field things. Dude, I think, oh, we're going to have a fun time for the Olympics. I mean, it's possible. I think we should cover every single Olympic event. That is not possible. Darn. I think we're at camp during the Olympics. I don't know when that is taking place. It is this summer, right? Yep. But the I'm not sure what the actual schedule is. Starts Friday, July 24th and ends Sunday, August 9th. But we are in camp that entire week. I mean, I have that's breaks. two weeks, but we're in camp the entire first week. That's funny. I have a break during the day and the night. We could record at night. That's. <laughs> I, I think we were going to anyways, weren't we? I do not know our plans for that. That is in August. It is now February 25th. See, I, I put a date on it. I was smart. Good job. So, there isn't a lot of important things going on because we're in the middle of basketball and hockey season and baseball is spring training just started up and as I told Jake the other day if there is one with a lot of attitude if there is one thing I care less about than preseason football it is split squad first week of spring training baseball so we're not going to talk about that. Tim Tebow hit home run. And instead, we are going to focus yesterday, February 24th, 2420, <clears throat> was the memorial service celebration of life for Kobe and Gigi Bryant. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Sabrina Ionescu and the XFL and Alexander Ovechkin and Joe Burrow. Um, but we're going to spend most of our time talking about Kobe and Gigi. Um, if you haven't heard it, we did an entire episode just on Kobe a few weeks ago after his death. So I would suggest listening to that if you haven't already done that before you listen to this. Um, but yesterday was pretty emotional again. Um, you watched parts of it live. What were your thoughts? Um, I watched the the latter half of it <clears throat> and it was quite enjoyable um well enjoyable it's in remarkable stories you hear of the impact that he left on so many important people and just also heartbreaking at the same time because when we heard from people like vanessa who shared beautiful eulogies for both of them and it it broke you down the tears multiple times like i, I cried three times listening to hers alone. And then 
I remember just laughing and enjoying like Shaq's. Shaq's was funny and enjoyable. And Michael Jordan's, who I didn't even realize Michael Jordan was that close to him. And it was really cool to see. And then also Rob Palenka's, right, Palenka? Palenka. Palenka. His also was great. And I also didn't know they were like best friends, but they were so close. And you hear these cool stories from them. And there was also just beautiful music acts and really well done video edits by like Nike and stuff like that. Like the videos were really good too. And I like that one a lot. The Nike one. Did you see that one? I saw all of them. I just, is, was the Nike one the forever one? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that video was amazing. It was all just, it had a sad feel to it, but yet also it was a celebration of life because there was jokes and there was happiness. There was all the emotions present all at once. I liked that it would show that kind of, while people were speaking, so like that it would pan off to the crowd and you'd see large notable name, like notable names from either our generation of playing or yesterday's generation. Like you would see people like, like Tony Parker and like uh, I can't even think of everyone who was there. But you would see all these people who made time just to go there and honor him and just to enjoy and be in everyone's presence for this. And like one thing I really enjoy is like it didn't have to happen, but it happened. It was great that it happened because it was kind of like. I wouldn't say closing a door on kind of the sorrow that this is, but it was kind of opening a door to us being able to remember the good and not necessarily be sad about it anymore. Um, so a lot of the people in attendance, there was an area where, like really close to the stage, the main stage... They said the number of roses that were present was the exact number of points he scored. So that means there were over 30,000 roses in that area, which was an incredible attention to detail to have. Um, but sitting down in the boxes like Vanessa and the other daughters, and then I'm pretty sure Kobe's parents were down there too, um, though they never like put their name up, but they kept showing them. So I'm assuming it was Kobe's parents. Um then you had like former Lakers that were down there. So like they kept showing Rick Fox and Derek Fisher. Um, AC Green was down there. Kurt Rambis, um, Karan Butler, obviously Shaq. Um, and then like current players were there, Anthony Davis and LeBron and Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and Rondo. All those Nick guys. Young. <laughs> Nick Young was down there. Um, Steph. Steph and Clay and Draymond, Westbrook and Harden were there, even though they had a game later that day. Um, Dwayne Wade. Uh, it was just a long list of, and that was basketball people. Snoop was there. Jay Z and Beyonce were there. I didn't um, see Snoop. That's cool. They showed him a couple of times. Um, they had. They showed LL Cool J at one point. Um, I'm trying to think. There were a lot of people, obviously, like Adam Silver, the commissioner, was there. Um, Magic. 
there was just there was a long list of of people who were there. So that alone, having such a huge community show up, I mean, it would, you knew it was going to happen. It was just interesting to see how many current players made it. Devin Booker was there, and a lot of these guys were wearing sunglasses too to like cover up um, their tears. It was it was remarkable just every time they would pan around and show people, and it was crazy how many how talented the group of people that was present was. And I would think it was Rob Polinka that said that. It was either him or Gino Ariyama. Um, but they just made it a point to say, like, this has to be the largest collection of talent that we've ever been around. And that was probably true. Who was in there? Steve Nash was there, too. Um, it, it was crazy. Yeah, Greg Popovich. Tony yeah, I was kind of surprised Popovich was there. Monty Ginobili. Um, that was... Yeah. So it was a remarkable list of people who were present. And then the people who like actually went up on stage and did stuff, it started with Beyonce coming up, and she sang a song accompanied by a choir. And I don't even know what the song was, but she went up there and talked about how she knew the family and that this song was one of Kobe's favorites and she sang it. And then she started to sing Halo, a condensed, uh, unique version of Halo. And that was like the first thing that got me, um, was, I mean, and it was one of the first things that happened, but like, I love that song and for her to sing it right there and just in that moment was a lot to take in. Then Jimmy Kimmel goes up, and he's the master of ceremonies of sorts. Um, just kind of, he did like a small introduction, and then he would introduce um, a few of the people here and there. Um, he was almost an MC. That's what master of ceremonies stands for. Um, oh, I didn't hear you say that. Sorry. He, his intro was so difficult. Um, and he's been emotional on TV about it. The day after Kobe died, he, he didn't record a show. He didn't record a full show. He did a show and he did like an opening monologue and told a couple stories. And then their show that night was to just show some of the past interviews that Kobe had come on the show and done. But even in like doing that monologue just in front of a camera with, there was no audience. It was just, you know, the crew that was filming, whatever, he got emotional then. So for him yesterday at the memorial to go up there and he, he's a dad. He has struggled with, um, at least one of his kids having a life, um, a life dangering situation. Like he, he has entered that. He knows what it's like to be a parent, um, struggling with, with something like this. And so he clearly was in tune with all of those emotions as he was up there and talking. And, and I think it was great. I think Jimmy is a great uh, symbol for L.A. He knows how to be serious and make something and make a point and draw our attention to something really important in that way and then also bring the right amount of levity to a situation to be able to tell a joke at the right moment so that people can laugh in the midst of crying. Um, he was really good at that. So I think he was, even though he claimed that he was the worst person to do it, I think a lot of people would agree that he was probably the best person in that moment to do it. So it was really cool for him to be up there. 
Then he introduced Vanessa Bryant, and they, it dawned on me that they did a really good job of, like, not making Vanessa a really public personality. Because um, when she went up, I realized, like, I would not have recognized her. I would, hmm. like, if she, I mean, and obviously she, you know, is all dressed up and has her hair a certain way and makeup a certain way, so she looks a little bit different than she would just normal. But if you just put a picture of her up in front of me, I would not have been able to tell you that that was Vanessa Bryant. So it was <clears throat> it was good and kind of a shock to the system to be like, oh, man, this is the woman who was married to Kobe. Like, I should probably be slightly aware of this at least. And her speech was, like you talked about, was just, it was beautiful and heartbreaking. Just she shared so many memories. She did a great job of splitting it. She made sure that this celebration of life was not just about Kobe, but that Gianna was front and center for it too. So she spent the whole first half talking about specifically Gianna and the unique personality that she was, what kind of daughter she was, what kind of person she was, what kind of athlete she was, what kind of creator she was, um, the, the way that she expressed her love to her mom and dad. And so Vanessa just did an amazing job and really got after emotions when she talked about not being able to ever see Gianna um, graduate high school, get married, walk down the aisle, have children, be a mom. Like that part really hit home um, in a way that like some of the other things don't. Just to see a mom have to struggle with never being able to watch her own daughter become a mom. Um, that was a really, really powerful moment um, from Vanessa. And then for her to go into talking about Kobe and and did a lot of the same things, shared just some personal stuff, shared some personal stories, kind of just opened, opened us up to this other side of Kobe that we caught glimpses of but would never have known fully. And we didn't need to know fully. It was his private life. That's his family. Obviously, he's going to be a particular way with his family. We got to see glimpses of it, the way he um, interacted with his daughters and was out with them in public and, and talked about his wife here and there in public. But for the most part, they did a pretty good job of keeping a lot of that just in home. And so for Vanessa to be able to open up and share a few of the personal things and to give us another side to Kobe too, it was an incredible speech. It was, it was amazing and just showed how courageous she was to to not only be willing to be there in this very public spectacle, but to get up and talk and be vulnerable when she knows that there's all these people in the stadium watching. There's all these people literally around the world um, ready to take this in. And for her to do what she did and to do an amazing job, it was incredible. So huge, huge props to Vanessa. Um, for handling this with insane dignity and grace um, at the time when it would be the hardest to do so. Mm -hmm. So after she spoke, um, Diana Taurasi went up to speak. And if you do not know who that is, she is, if not the best, one of the three to five best female basketball players of all time. Um, probably one of the most important just in general basketball players of all time for 
the amount of success she had. I'm pretty sure she won four national championships, which you're only in college for four years, so she won it every yep. single year she played. She's won, I think it was four national championships, something like three gold medals, three WNBA championships. I don't know. She's she's probably the best all-around basketball player who, like female basketball player who's ever played the game. Um, Lisa Leslie and Rebecca Lobo were more down low. Sue Bird was a little bit more of a guard. Um, I, I'm woefully unequipped to talk about uh, female basketball in general, but Diana Taurasi's name is always at the top of a list. Um, and and she went up there and spoke as somebody who grew up watching Kobe and wanted to be like Kobe and wanted to play. She said wanted to play in the NBA. Um, obviously that did not play out in that way, but, but she did the next best thing and became the most dominant force in women's basketball for over a decade. And that is a major accomplishment. She was a big part of UConn becoming what it was for so many years and still continues to be. She was a big part of the WNBA becoming a much more solidified, stable league. And um, she went up there, and she's been somebody who has been a terrific ambassador for basketball and knew um, Kobe and the Bryant family really well and even went up and, like, told a pretty funny joke about Gianna learning how to do a fadeaway and turned and looked straight at LeBron and said, LeBron just learned that yesterday. (laughs) Um, It was another great moment of this intense, sincere speech to turn and just – throw in a perfect joke that everyone could laugh at and be able to, again, celebrate in the moment. Um, and so I think Tarasi did a great job. After Tarasi was Sabrina Ionescu, who currently plays for the University of Oregon, and she is the next great thing um, in women's basketball and basketball in general. She accomplished something um, last night that has never been done. Um, and... I will get to that later, but um, essentially she had a game at Stanford yesterday. She, with her Oregon team, was in the Stanford area over the weekend to practice and get ready. Then Monday, then Sunday night, flew down to L.A., spoke at the memorial on Monday, gave an incredible speech about meeting the family and getting to talk to Gianna and, and having this time I think they were playing, I don't even know. Gianna wanted to go to UConn. That comes up a little bit later. Um, but Gianna ended up participating in some stuff with Sabrina, and they became really good friends. And there was a funny story that, that was told later on about the Oregon team being around and asking if Gianna wanted to take a picture of them, and Gianna said no <laughs> because she didn't want to be associated with Oregon. She wanted to be associated with UConn. And so that was kind of funny. Um, but then after the speech, Ionescu had to leave and fly back to Stanford because she had a game that night, last night, um, in a really big game. Oregon's ranked number three in the country. Stanford's ranked number four in the country. It was at Stanford. That's a big deal. So to go through all that emotion in the morning, to get up in front of all these people, again, share something very personal, very sincere, and then to be in the frame of mind to go up and play in one of the biggest games of the year for her, um, that showed incredible integrity, character, courage to be able to do that, and she did a great job mm-hmm. too. 
Um, after her was Gina Oriama, the coach of the women's basketball team at UConn, the one who was like set the standard for what sustained greatness is in sports, not just in basketball, not just in women's basketball, but in sports. UConn has had a reign over college basketball for 20 years now as the preeminent um, force. Like every top player wanted to go to UConn for the longest time. In the last four or five years, it started to spread out a little bit more than that, um, but not enough can be said for what that program did um, to promote the game. And and so it was really important for Ariyama to be up there, um, mostly because Gigi wanted to go to Connecticut mm-hmm. and so had taken a visit out there at some point. But Ariyama didn't even go up there and talk as a coach. He went up there and he intentionally went up there and said, I'm up here as a dad. Like, and, and pointed out a lot of things about Kobe that showed how wonderful of a dad he was. And he specifically pointed out a time that when they went to go visit UConn, and so Gigi is like in the locker room looking around, Kobe was not like hovering over her, introducing her to things like controlling the situation. Kobe stayed back so that it could be Gianna, the basketball player, as opposed to Gianna, Kobe's son, Kobe's daughter. Um, and Gino would just like realize like that, that is an incredible example of just who Kobe was as a parent, as a proud dad to be able to let his daughter take in the moment and be her own person and experience it on her own, have people meet her and interact with her as her own person instead of being Kobe's kid. Um, and that's really, really hard to do when you are Kobe Bryant. There is a lot attached to that. And so if you're Kobe Bryant's kid, there's going to be a lot attached to that. And so to be able in that moment to separate, um, Gino made it a point to talk about that, which I thought was really cool. And he told a really funny story of Kobe asking him about how to coach young girls in basketball. And Gino brought up the idea of here is one of the most uncoachable players of all time, quoting Phil Jackson from a long time ago asking me how to coach and just how surreal that was, how weird and unusual that was for Gino in that moment. And and Kobe's talking about coaching these 11 and 12-year-old girls. And Gino is like, I just tell them to pass the ball around and take a few shots. Like <laughs> It doesn't need to be anything crazy. But Kobe's trying to teach them the intricacies of of rotations on defense and, you know, different kinds of offensive things. And so it was, it was pretty funny and it was just, again, a great job by Gino to go up there, um, and, and give us again, another side of, of Kobe that we wouldn't have known about. Then Rob Polinka went up and he, I think kind of introduced himself to a lot of people in the fact that a lot of people, as Jake said before, didn't know, how important he was or who he was in Kobe's life. And they were best friends for over 20 years. Rob Polinka was Kobe's agent, I think from the start. And then eventually through his relationships and whatever, became the general manager of the Lakers. And he told a couple amazing stories about Kobe, including the day of the crash and getting a text in the morning from Kobe asking if 
Rob had ways to connect a girl, like a teenage girl, to this like internship program to help her pursue this career in in the sports field that she wanted um, in terms of like baseball, I believe. And Rob was like conversing a little bit back and forth. And it turns out that girl was the older sister of um, the, one of the girls that was also on the helicopter and the, and her two parents were also on the helicopter who crashed and died too. And so Palinka made it a point to say like, Kobe's last act on this earth was to be going out of his way to set up success for a future female athlete um, wanting to be something in the world. Like that was Kobe. Kobe was always doing that kind of stuff to to help people push and be the best they could and try to arrange connections and try to help people be on the path um, to success. So that was an incredible story for Rob to tell, particularly like that was the day of that happened while Kobe was on the helicopter, that conversation was happening. Um, and he also told a story of Kobe being on a trip and in this hotel, there was a piano and Kobe decided he wanted to learn how to play by ear, uh, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, which is not the easiest thing to play in the yeah. world, especially if you don't play piano and Kobe didn't play piano, but he just listened to the song and worked on it. And over the course of a few days, kept calling Rob and testing it out. And by the end, he perfected it and was able to play it for Vanessa as this like great romantic gesture because it, he felt it would mean a lot to her. And that kind of like concluded Palinka's speech. But like there was so much more to it than that. Um, it's incredible. Um, but he tells the story about the Moonlight Sonata. And then the next person to go up there is Alicia Keys, who plays the Moonlight Sonata on the piano. And it was just, again, an incredible, perfect moment um, with Vanessa sitting right there with Alicia just being fully emotionally invested in the moment while she's playing. It was just another incredible moment. Um and then after that was Michael Jordan. And that, my initial, my initial and only criticism of anything that happened was that Jordan is not the best speaker. Like everybody else that went up there was composed and expressed themselves really well. And they were able to tell these stories and go point to point and like really convey what they're doing. And Jordan is historically not great at that. Um, he just never was somebody to like get up and share, to be emotional. Jordan never was super comfortable, in my opinion, of doing that. So even as he was talking, there were times when it was like, ah, you're like repeating yourself. You're not phrasing things super great. Like this is kind of hard. Um, and so, it was easy for me to get distracted by that. But in talking to other people, it was super important to note, Jordan has never done anything like this before. When Jordan speaks in public, he is critical of other people. Sometimes he's mean. When he had his Hall of Fame induction speech, a lot of people criticized him for it because he was just pointing out 
all these other people and how he had to be better than them and all this stuff. And so Jordan is not somebody who um, praises the people around him, who properly emotionally engages and, you know, is able to elevate other people. And so for him, again, in this moment, to allow himself to go up on stage full-on crying, like he is a mess up on stage, just tears everywhere. He doesn't have tissues up there with him. He's not wearing glasses. He's not wiping his eyes. He is just letting this moment naturally happen. Um, and it, it really was beautiful. Like he, you knew that this was from the heart, like because his words weren't perfect, because it wasn't laid out exactly great because he was bouncing around all over the place and repeating himself. You knew that it was genuinely coming from the heart and we have not experienced that with him. And so to learn out of nowhere that Jordan and Kobe actually had a really close relationship. We always knew they were connected because they were always talked about each other in the same sentences. They always compared Kobe to Jordan. So they would, they would both always get these questions and be asked how close they were or whatever, and they would both always deflect. They would never give any detail about it. And now you have Jordan up in front of all of these people talking about getting text messages from Kobe at 2 in the morning about how to run a triangle offense and about being a dad and about being a businessman. And, and that's something that we never knew before. That's something that we never saw or heard of before especially not from Jordan. And so that in and of itself was an incredible moment to have this icon who has set himself apart in a very specific way of being not humble, but being reserved and being not in front of the camera all the time and not sharing thoughts all the time and not doing interviews all the time to for the first time really ever going up and being a vulnerable, open, genuine person in that moment. It was incredible. Um, and then so like, you know, the emotional moments are him talking about Kobe as a little brother and then saying when Kobe died, a little bit of me died like that in that moment that really, again, hit really, really hard because I think everybody who was attached felt that exact same thing, that there's a little part of us, for some people it's bigger than others, some people obviously were much closer to Kobe and all that, but for people like us who even watched from a distance, never met him, never anything like that, but he still meant something in our lives, we do feel like there's a small part of us that has died and is no longer there because of Kobe's absence. And so for for Michael Jordan to be able to raise that sentiment and us to feel it, it was a remarkable thing. And then the last speaker was Shaq, and Shaq was great. Shaq was himself and reiterated things that he's been saying ever since uh, the tragedy, talking about, yes, Kobe and him had their differences, but it was out of a determination to be the best, that they truly wanted to go out and destroy every opponent in front of them, and they didn't always agree on the best way to do that. So they would come at odds, and they would argue, but in the same way we would argue with our siblings or with our best friends, like 
at the end of the day, they wanted the same thing, and they both wanted it so bad that they were willing to yell at each other. They were willing to be mad at each other. They were willing to do all of that. And no matter what was said in the public, no matter what was said in the press, at the end of the day, they still loved and respected each other, especially by the end. And so Shaq, again, made it super clear that like all of us had it wrong, um, and I don't doubt that based on all of this new information that we got about Kobe in every aspect of his life. I have no reason to doubt at all that Kobe and Shaq were tight and that things just happened back then. And and Shaq did a great job of representing that really, really well and telling a couple really good stories um, telling the story of, I think, during Kobe's rookie year, very early on at least, a couple of the other guys kind of complaining to Shaq about Kobe being a ball hog, and Shaq is like, all right, I'll go talk to him. So Shaq goes over and talks to Kobe. He's like, Kobe, look, man, there's no I in team. And then Kobe <laughs> says to Shaq, uh, but there's there's a me and an E in that MFR. <laughs> and he said, and it's like, <laughs> and Shaq was just like, you're right. <laughs> and he goes back. <laughs> He's like, and Shaq said, like, I go back to D Fish and Big Shot Bob, and I say, he ain't passing that ball. <laughs> and it's just, it was a perfect story. It was a perfectly Kobe moment. It was a perfectly Shaq moment. And it was a great, great story because no one is surprised by it. Everyone, again, another moment of joy, uh, amongst this tragedy. Um, it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. And then to go on to say, uh, to go on multiple things. Um, he made a joke about his free throw shooting and, and teaching people basketball. That was also funny. And and he talked about Kobe being up there, teaching Gianna everything he needed to teach her about basketball up in heaven and that Shaq's got it taken care of down here and Shaq's watching over the family down here. Um, that was a really, really cool sentiment too. So um, he was the last person to talk. I mean, obviously, that was a very, that was probably a much more thorough uh, summary of everything than you cared to hear, but I would highly encourage that you go back and watch every single one all the way through because they are all super worth it to, to hear back um, about Kobe and Gianna's lives and who they were as people in ways that we never got to hear or see before. Um, all of the videos, Jake talked about the Nike one when it said forever and it was all of these different aspects about Kobe and ended with Mamba forever. It was an amazing video. Um, there was, there were videos of Gianna, videos of her playing and hanging out that had never been seen before. Um, it was just, all of it was incredible and it ended with Christina Aguilera singing, um, Ave Maria and that was, beautiful and amazing, and then it actually ended with um, them showing the Deer Basketball short film um, that we played on the previous podcast for you, and it, it just that's the perfect way to end it. Kobe giving his heart, um, sharing that with us, and then ending it. Um, it was an incredible, truly incredible celebration of life. That's what yesterday was, even though there was tears and emotion and pain and anger, there was a lot of joy. There was a lot of knowing who Kobe was, the impact he had, who Gianna was, the impact she had, um, and what the rest of us can take 
moving forward with our lives based on what we got to experience with both of them. And so just my heart goes out to Vanessa and the other three dollars, Natalia, Bianca, and Capri. Um, obviously to the rest of the family, to all their close friends, to everyone associated with basketball that was impacted by Kobe. Um, we all have a lot to do moving forward to honor him. Um, but I think yesterday was a phenomenal um, way to to bring one last bit of closure mm-hmm. as we move on with with this new existence without the two of them. So, yeah, that was an incredible, incredible couple of hours. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes was during Vanessa's is that she – it wasn't, I'm not going to say it word for word because I don't remember word for word, but she was saying how close Kobe and Gigi were and um, that if one was going, the other one had to go pretty much. So it was only fitting that they both went together. Yeah, that they would, neither of them would have been able to exist on this world without the other one. That was a really cool sentiment. And just the stories that she told. And it was wild. Were the other kids there? Uh, I saw the oldest, I thought. Yeah, Natalia was definitely there sitting next to Vanessa. And, yeah, Bianca was there too because Capri is pretty little. Yeah, like I one or two, I think. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think so, yes, that they were all there. Yeah, so that's our bit about Kobe and Gigi. Um, so we have our other stuff that we want to get to real quick. So again, I mentioned Sabrina Ionescu of Oregon spoke at the memorial and then went up and played a game at Stanford, number three ranked Oregon number versus number four ranked Stanford at Stanford. And here's the thing about Sabrina Ionescu that you probably have never even heard her name before. Um, that wouldn't surprise me because there is not a lot of coverage of women's basketball as much as there should be, there's way more than there used to be. Last night's game was on ESPN2. Um, but she is at a point now. So last night, Oregon, for the most part, controlled that game against Stanford. And they eventually got the win. In the win, Yanescu got a triple-double. She finished with something around 20 points, 12 rebounds, and 12 assists, something like that. 20 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists, somewhere around there. So that's an incredible game just regardless. Having a triple-double is crazy. But last night was Yanescu's 26th career triple-double in college. Now that may not seem like a lot because in college they play about 35 to 40 games a year. Most, if players stay through four years, they usually get around 140 games total. Um, But... In the history of college basketball, at least with these types of record keeping, so she has 26. Do you know what the next most is? Did you see that at all? Mm-mm. So in men's or women's, she has 26. The next most is 12. Jeez. The next <laughs> most is nine. Wow. She has more triple doubles in her career than the next two people combined. That's in all of NCAA or what? Yes, men's and women's. That's insane. Because it's Kyle Collinsworth, men's of BYU. I don't know how recently he had 12. 
and I forget who the other person was that has nine. That's crazy, actually. So she she is a triple-double machine. So that stat alone is crazy. Last night, with her ninth rebound of the game, she ended up with more, but when she got her ninth rebound of the game, she became the first college basketball player ever, men's or women's, to have a career of 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 1,000 assists. That's so cool. It's insane. So to be able to do that, like that, that's an accomplishment beyond anything that anyone could have ever thought about. Like that's college players are not that well-rounded. They do not do that that much. So she has been, and she could have easily not even come back this year. Um, she probably would have been the number one overall pick in the WNBA draft after last season, but she wanted to stick around. She wanted to go for a title and she, is great. It was. It's the only women's college game I've watched all year. But you better believe that I am recording all of Oregon's games that I can from here on out um, because she is really fun to watch. And Stanford has multiple players that are great. They have these two twins. Um, I believe their names were Lexi and Lacey. It's something like that. Um, and now I can't remember their last name. It's like Holly or Holy or Hole. Hole, I think. And they're phenomenal. They both had really good games last night. Stanford has a couple really good players. Oregon had a couple really good. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. It wasn't just people flying around playing one on one basketball. Like these women were playing real offenses and making skilled passes around defenders into the lane, making tough shots against each other. Like it was really good basketball. So. I'm excited to see what Yonescu does to finish her career and whatever that looks like moving forward. But, like, that's the insanity of her day yesterday, of doing the memorial, knowing that she does have an audience, watching to see this 2,000, 1,000, 1,000 thing was coming up. Like, everyone knew it was coming. So that's why that was part of a big deal. And she goes out and just gets a triple-double, even though she was also like throwing up over the weekend too, or maybe even earlier in the day, I think. I forget exactly what they said, but during the broadcast, they were talking about she wasn't even feeling well. So to be able to – she is an incredible individual that's insanely talented and competitive. There were multiple times last night when there was a foul call or something she didn't like, and she was clearly very upset. Um, I'm very impressed by her as an athlete and a competitor and cannot wait to see – um, how the rest of her college and professional career plays out. Had you heard of her at all before yesterday? Not one bit. Yeah. So um, if you... I didn't even know Oregon was good. Yeah. The only if you guy. are listening to this, I suggest you tune in to one Oregon basketball game between now and the end of the college tournament because she is definitely worth watching. The only women's basketball team for collegiate I knew was UConn. I just knew that they weren't having a great year this year. They're not. Which is crazy to they're, think because they're having they're having one of their worst years in a long which time. Which is crazy because they've normally had the best years. <laughs> yeah. They're like I want to say they're like eighth or ninth in the country. Baylor's number one, I believe. So that's your women's college basketball update for the day. Sabrina Yonescu, I O N E S C U. Find Where's her. she from? I don't know. But she's at Oregon. That's what I got. The other big Statistical achievement over the weekend, Alexander Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals, hockey, became the eighth player all-time to get to 700 goals. Um, 
that's a pretty remarkable thing for a sport that's been around as long as hockey, as long as the league of the NHL has been around. And at a time now when goal scorers don't really do that anymore, um, Ovechkin has gotten up there. So he's eighth ahead of him are, uh, Mike Gartner at 708, Phil Esposito at 717, Marcel Dion at 731, Brett Hull at 741, Yarmy Yager 766, Gordy Howe 801, and Wayne Gretzky 894. There is talk of whether Ovechkin can get to 900. Um, that's going to uh, take a lot. I don't know about that. Ovechkin's in his uh, late 16th season. He is th- he's late late 30s is rough. He's 34, <laughs> um, so he's in his mid 30s. He looks like he's a little over though. This is in his 15th year. Um, but in terms of his goal scoring over the, I mean, he had a stretch when he first started. He had 54, 46, 47, 54, 59, 53, and then he had five straight years of not even getting. Oh no, that's assists. Just kidding. <laughs> He started his career at 52, 46, 65, 56, 50, then had three years of 32, 38, 32. The last one of those was a shortened year. And then he had three straight years of 50, and then a year off. And then the last two years, he's had 49 and 51, and this year he is 42. So, like, he is still scoring goals at a very high rate. Let, he's led the league in goals scored in all but one of the last seven seasons. Um so if he keeps being around 40, like he's shown that he can easily get to 40 every year. If he keeps getting to 40 in three years, he'll have over 800 and be second all time. Now, is he going to score 40 a year for the next five years? To That's get a lot. And still at the age of 38 uh, be scoring that much? I don't know. That seems like a lot to ask, but I'm not going to put it past one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Definitely the greatest goal scorer of our generation. I'm really excited to see if he does that. Um, uh, he's been, since I've been watching hockey, he's been my favorite player. I mean, my favorite player of all time is Gretzky, and I am going to go on a mini rant about that soon. But, like, I only saw the last couple years of Gretzky's career. I saw him get to, I, I watched live as he scored his 800 second goal to set the record. And I remember, as a king, and I remember watching him a little bit as a, St. Louis Blue and as a New York Ranger. But I've watched the entirety of Alexander Ovechkin's career. He came into the league, and I was in college, so I was very aware of what was going on. And he has been absolutely amazing to watch. My favorite hockey play ever is a goal by Alexander Ovechkin, which he scores on his back, and it's crazy. <laughs> but, like, no one else right now is even close to being able to score like this. Like, somebody... Some of the active players right now, Patrick Marlowe, but he started playing eight years before Ovechkin, and he's 140 goals behind. Um, so he's at 541. The next most of somebody who is active is Sidney Crosby at 459. Jeez. Like, and then Ilya Kovalchuk, 442, except he's not actually that active anymore. Eric Stahl, 434. Like, these guys are 200-plus goals behind. Um, it's crazy. So Ovechkin is super exciting, um, and I am stoked to see how much further he goes. I do I, think he'll get to 800. Um, it would be awesome for him to be second all-time and pass Gordie Howe. Um, but 
in terms of overall greatness. You started to say something. Yeah, I honestly didn't know he was still playing this season because I knew he was getting older, and I I thought after he won the cup, it would kind of slow like he would kind of contemplate retirement. But nope, apparently not. So he has won. So this is going to be my transition into trying to tell you how amazing Wayne Gretzky is. So Alexander Ovechkin has won the MVP award, the Hart Trophy, um, three times. Wayne Gretzky won it nine times. Jeez. Now, the most... <laughs> this is the thing. Oh, this is... Oh, come on, come here. Work with me. So the most MVPs in each sport include Peyton Manning has four in the NFL. Barry Bonds has seven in baseball. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has six in the NBA. Bill Russell has five. Michael Jordan has five. Will Chamberlain has four. So, like, that's a lot. If you're the MVP four, five, six times, that's a lot. Bonds seven times, that's a lot. He cheated. Yeah. <laughs> Gordy Howe won it six times uh, playing for the Red Wings in the NHL. So Wayne Gretzky won it nine times. Wayne Gretzky won it. Um, where'd it go? Wayne Gretzky won it eight times in a row. That's so crazy. Wayne Gretzky won MVP more times more times in a row than anyone else has won MVPs total. So that's so crazy. And then. In the year he didn't, so he won it eight times in a row, then Lemieux won it, then Gretzky won it again. Then the following three or four years, Gretzky was still either leading the league in points or close to it. Here's the thing about Wayne Gretzky. So, again, the MVPs alone should tell you, like, this is insane. The point totals are in a dimension that doesn't even make sense. So for those that don't know, in hockey, the way like scoring works is there if you score the goal, that's a goal, and up to two people can have an assist. If you're the last two people to touch the puck on offense before the goal score, you can both get an assist. So there's a few more assists up for grabs, but this is always how it's been. So it's not like the rules have changed lately. So a goal... The number of goals you have plus the number of assists you have is how many points you have total. So if I score two goals and have one assist, then I got three points. That's how goals, assists, and points work in hockey. Wayne Gretzky has, is the all-time assist leader. Wayne Gretzky has more assists than anyone else has points. So if you go back in wow. history, every player ever, and add all of their goals plus all of their assists, Wayne Gretzky has more just assists. If Wayne Gretzky didn't score a single goal ever in the NHL, he would still have more points than everybody because of how many assists he had. That's so crazy. And he's the all-time goal-scoring leader by a significant margin, nobody of the four major team sports, nobody has ever dominated their sport statistically like Wayne Gretzky. 
Hmm. Now there, Wilt Chamberlain definitely had seasons where he did it. If you ask me who the most dominant basketball player ever was, I'm going to tell you Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain decided one year he wanted to average 55 points a game, so he did it. That's insane. Like, Wilt Chamberlain gets overlooked all the time. He averaged 55 points a game for a season. That doesn't happen. That's not, it literally only happened once. That's insane. He also decided one year that he wanted to lead the league in assists. So he did. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's not, the number of rebounds that him and Bill Russell got are just numbers that don't even make sense. Those guys dominated. But they dominated, like, not, (laughs) their all-time records don't, like, they're not even the all-time leading scorers. I think, Russell might be the all-time leading rebounder. I'm not sure. But in terms of just overall dominating an entire sport for an extended period of time, like nowadays, players lead. Like I'll just go to Ovechkin because he's usually pretty high. He doesn't generally lead the league in points. Um, He's only done that once. Walt is the all-time leading rebounder. So... But Ovechkin in his career, he's had 106 points, 92 points, 112, 110, 109, 85, 65, 56, 79, 81, 71, 69, 87, 89, 59. That's, so he does way more goal scoring than assists. He's one of the greatest players of all time. And he is in the, when he was at his best, in the 100-point range, um, but usually somewhere in the 80s and 90s. Wayne Gretzky had... Consecutive years from early on, his first year in the NHL, 137 points, then 164, then 212. Jeez. 212, 92 goals, and 120 assists. Then 196, 205, 208, 215. He had 163 assists in one season. That doesn't, there's no way to properly tell you how astronomically impossible that is. Who was he with during that year? Edmonton. Hmm. The, that's not. It doesn't, it's not a thing. (laughs) It's not a thing, except that Wayne Gretzky made it a thing. Wayne the Great? He, I'm, I'm looking up some extra, some extra info. That he led the league in assists, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. He led the league in assists 12 years in a row. One of them he tied. And then two years after that, led again. And then two years after that, led again. And then the next year after that, led again. <laughs> this, it's crazy. So, I mean, that's the standard to which I hold individuals in sports to is nobody in the four major sports has dominated their team sport the way Wayne Gretzky did. And a lot of people will say, well, the game was way different back then than it is now. You're right. Goals were scored at a much higher rate 
in the mid to late 80s than they are now. Defenses are different now. Things are different now. So you're right. But there were still, everyone else was playing by the same rules back then. Mm -hmm. It's not like Wayne Gretzky had his own rules. Like all these other guys back then were playing with the same rules. Wayne Gretzky was just better than everybody else by a wide margin. So I'm, that's my Wayne Gretzky rant. If Wayne Gretzky was playing right now, do you think he'd put up the same numbers? He wouldn't put up the same numbers, but I think he would still be the best player. He, I don't think he would have 163 assists or 200 points, but I wouldn't doubt that he would be up around 140. Hmm. Like, you've got Connor McDavid and Leo Dreisaitl for Edmonton right now are one and two in the league in points on the same team and doing great, but they're, cause Dreisaitl currently leads the league in assists. Um, Anyway, so yeah, he wouldn't. He, I don't think his numbers would be as high because that's crazy. But I think he would still be the best player in the world. But anyway, that all that to say, Ovechkin is doing really, really good things, and it's really exciting to see um, him get this recognition and to keep climbing up the leaderboard. But he's no way in the great. No, nobody is the great one. Um. Two other thoughts. XFL. We had our teams had a good weekend. Claw up. How much of the Wildcats game did you actually watch? About three fourths of it. Okay, that's good. So they took on the previously undefeated DC Defenders, and they made them look like hot garbage. So LA won thirty-nine to nine. Claws up. So LA is now two and one. Yeah. Because they won the first game. Yeah. So LA is two and one. DC is two and one. My Seattle Battlehawks took on the New York Guardians and made them look silly, and we won 29-9, had the first kickoff return for touchdown in XFL history. That was awesome. Um, so we are now 2-1. and one. The Roughnecks I, are still 3-0. Really? Yep. How's that possible? They won. Bummer. <laughs> well, I don't care. St. Louis, St. Louis taking them down. <laughs> the Vipers good. still have not won yeah, a game? Yeah, the Vipers got off. It's great. They have a great defense, though, but... They're so bad. Not a good offense. So, XFL, still really entertaining. We highly suggest you pick a team and watch because all the games are on TV. So, find it on either I love that they're all on Fox, TV. ESPN, CBS. They change through a lot, so ABC? good luck. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, it's like those four networks. The ESPN on. app will tell you which one they're on now. So, XFL is still a lot of fun to watch. And real quick note. Uh, as the combine is getting started for the NFL, we there's a lot of stuff going on. But like the one news story yesterday came out that Joe Burrow has his hand <laughs> measures nine inches, which I'm not sure. I think that's thumb to pinky. I think it's like if you outstretch your hand, I think it's thumb to pinky. I don't think it's wrist to top and middle finger. I think it's thumb to pinky. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and so the stat behind that is. That would be tied for the smallest hand by a first-round quarterback since they measured that in the combine. Um, So Joe Burrow tweeted out, um, well, contemplating retirement since apparently my hands are too small to throw the ball or something like that. So that was funny. And then who – did you see who replied to that? Who replied to it? Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mahomes. So, nah, man, it, it worked out for me okay. Hang in there. I also, <laughs> like, I'm for you or I don't like the fact that he goes by Joey Burrow on Twitter. Yeah, that's rough. 
Because like I will not. Also, his his um, what's the the big picture called on Twitter? Uh, yeah, cover. His picture. cover photo is a picture of SpongeBob and Patrick when they do the Pinhead Larry thing, and it's really funny. But it's kind of strange that that that's his thing. So um, yeah, it is from Thumb to Pinky. That's crazy. Oh, since at the comments since 2008. So uh, beyond <laughs> that, but wait, Bud Light had probably the best response. Look. What are you saying? Look, you need to. That's not helpful. Um, Bud Light said, but we do need a spokesperson for these, and it's Bud Light Minis because he has mini hands. I thought that was so funny. The last thing, so that was our last thing that I had written down for us to talk about. The last thing I quickly want to mention again, since we were talking about insane statistical things, and so I was looking up some college basketball stuff, and we're at like our hour mark. If you have never heard of Pete Maravich. You need to spend five minutes looking up his stuff. Here's all you need to know in terms of career points by NCAA basketball players. Pete Maravich has the most points all time. He has 3,667. Next most is 3,249. The gap from like one position to the next is not more than 30, like from any spot down. Um, like 30, okay, that's not true. 52. Nope, and then that one's almost 100. So we'll go with 100. There, the gap is not more than 100 points between like second to third, third to fourth, fourth to fifth, fifth to sixth, like all the way down. The gap is not more than 100 points between any spot, except from second to first, it's 418. So that's how many more points Pete Maravich scored. Here's the thing. The second place person all time played in 106 games. So 106 games. Scored 3,200 points, averaged a little over 30 points per game. So 106 games, 3,200 points. Pete Maravich played in 83 games. He played in 23 less games, and he scored 400 more points. At a time when three-pointers were not a thing. Mm -hmm. Pete Maravich never made a three-pointer in his life, at least not in his college basketball life. So in 83 games, he scored 3,600 points, averaged 44 points per game. The next best average per game is Oscar Robertson, Hall of Famer, one of the best players of all time, at 33.8. The gap from second place to first place is almost 11 points per game. Pete Maravich, look him up, the pistol, one of the most fun players ever Played for LSU from 67 to 70. Played for the Jazz a little bit in the NBA. Had some rough stuff happen. Didn't have the best career ever. Life was cut a little bit short. But one of the most amazing basketball players of all time. So when we were talking about college basketball, we can't talk about some of the best without saying Pete Maravich. But again, look up Sabrina Ionescu. Watch some Oregon basketball. Look up some Diana Taurasi highlights because she was worth it. In honor of Kobe and Gigi and all that stuff. Diana Taurasi played for Connecticut. And played for the Phoenix WNBA team. and I knew that. Yeah. Just, you know, so give some props to female athletes because they're doing big things. And they deserve more recognition and more screen time. And the best way to do that is to give, give them some ratings. The more we watch, the more that gets recognized, the more they get put on TV. It's all causation, correlation stuff. Make it happen. Thanks for listening. Also give us good ratings. Yeah. Share, comment, argue, whatever. Come comment, in, be in here with us, have some discussions.
FaceTime. See what we can do. Yell. And come bang on this window. Actually, the, don't. We don't, don't have, bang on the window. We don't have. Easy. Yeah. We can't do that. Till next time. Uh, my name is Jake Mathis. I'm Jacob Bomber. See ya.